This is Creative Talks, Episode 10, Interview with Erica Schultz. Welcome to Creative Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway, and on this episode, I'm interviewing writer Erica Schultz. I say writer Erica Schultz, but she's done a lot of work in comics, working as a letterer, editor, and animator. Now, you've probably seen Erica's work somewhere along the way through your reading of comic books. She's done a lot of work on books, including books for DC Entertainment, works for Continuity Studios, and work for Dynamite Entertainment. In fact, she worked on Swords of Sorrow, the Black Sparrow and Ladies Row one-shot, and also on the main series Swords of Sorrow, and she was picked by Gail Simone to be on that project. In our interview, I talked to Erica about her upcoming work on the Dynamite series Charmed. Now, you may have heard Charmed's coming back to the CW Network. That series is being revived, and Erica has been picked to work on the series for Dynamite as the writer. Now, Erica's been in the business for about 10 years, and the very first thing she did was her own creator-owned project called M3, and that was published by Vice Press. And I have to say, it takes a lot of guts to uh, publish your own comic book first before you work for anyone else. And she did. And she was successful with it. And she's gone on to create many other books and had many other successes. I also have to say, having Erica on the show was a real delight because Erica, you know, you ask her opinion, she'll give it to you. And that's why I have this show is to have writers and artists on here working in comics, not only to find out what they've done in their career and what they have coming up next, but what they really think about certain topics. And that's what we get into on this episode here on Creator Talks. Besides Erica's work on the series Charm coming up, we also talk about such things as uh, the PBS series Sherlock and what she thought about that because we're both fans of the show and we get into the last few episodes of the season and of the series. So here now is my interview with Erica Schultz on Creator Talks. Thanks for joining me. And no problem. Thanks for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. And I wanted to talk to you about your new series, Charmed for Dynamite. But first, I have a couple of comments. Uh-oh. Yeah. Well, just something I noticed that you have a cat. Yes, I do. Your cat looks uncannily like our late cat, Panda. Uh, are you sure Panda's dead? <laughs> <laughs> Very sure. Okay. <laughs> no, she, yeah, I mean, she looks, she has that black over the one eye and the white. Oh, Simon's actually gray, like a dark, smoky gray. Um, everybody thinks in photos he looks like a, like a tuxedo cat, like mm-hmm. a black and white, yeah, but he's yeah. not. He's actually gray. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, uh, our cat is very much gone. She, uh, Aww. yeah, she was an older cat and, um, and she passed and it was a sad day because my wife had her since she was a kitten. She preceded me. She came first. The cat came first. So she was part of the package. And uh, when the cat passed, I came home. My wife was looking through her phone. She says, you know, I was thinking, you know, she's being cremated. How about if we put her in one of these? And she shows me this urn, an Egyptian cat. Uh And I was like, oh, my God. I was looking at the same thing. You do it. (laughs) Do it. Do it. So um, we did that. That's awesome. (laughs) It's so cool. The other comment is, I didn't know this until recently that you and I frequent the same comic book shop. Oh, yeah. and Well, see, okay. I don't go to the comic book shop in Delaware often, but um, I'm friends with the owners. Mm -hmm. And I had had a a run-in with a comic book shop in New York City, and they were very rude to me. And uh, 
basically the story goes like this. I, I came in one day. Uh, they were around the corner from the studio that I used to work at. So I came in one day. I had my pull list scrawled really quickly on a uh, on a post-it note. And, um, you know, on Wednesdays they have clerks going up and down the aisle saying, you know, if anybody needs any help, you just let us know. So all the books that I was getting except for one were new releases. But the one that I was the one that I couldn't find was something that came out years earlier. So obviously it wasn't on the new release rack. So I pulled, you know, I waved down one of these guys and I said, hey, um, I'm looking for this. And I showed him and I don't even remember what the book was at the time. And I showed him my the post-it and he says, oh, that's sweet. Your son put his pull list on a post-it note for you. <sighs> I looked at the guy and I looked down the aisle and M3, the trade paperback M3 was within my, my line of sight. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the guy, are you serious? And he goes, yeah, that's really sweet. And I just said, I, I said some very expletive words. I dropped the stack of comics that I had in my arms and I walked out. And then I went back to the studio and I emailed Sarah and I said, look, I don't know how we're going to make this work, but I want to get my comics only from you. And she's like, okay, we'll figure it out. So basically every week I email them a pull list. um, And then every, at the end of the month, they mail me the comics. And I don't care that I pay extra in shipping because it's worth it to me. So I get my comics once a month, but it means more to me that I'm going to a shop and that I am... Um, supporting a shop that I enjoy, that I like, and I these people are great, and they're going out of their way to help me. So, um, I'd rather do that than go to a comic shop down the street. Like if there was a comic book shop across the street from me, I would still have my uh, you know have my little arrangement with Sarah and uh, and Titus and the guys down there because they're awesome. That's the comic book shop in Wilmington, Delaware. I'll give them a plug because I've been going there since they've owned it. Um, yeah, when, how long ago did that happen? It was probably about two or three years ago. So I've been getting my comics monthly mm-hmm. for about two or three years. Wow. I can't believe that. Well, I guess I can believe I've heard stories like that. People still have that mindset that, oh, it must be for your boyfriend. Or, you know, I've heard those those stories. Oh, is that for your boyfriend? Look, no, no, it's for me. You know, it's... Oh. Unbelievable. You know, at this point, it is what it is. Mm. I can't change people being stupid, but I did have the opportunity to be able to change what I did about it, which was, you know, get in touch with friends and they were able to help me out. So and that's what you have to do is we uh, move on to yeah. some place that uh, has proper customer service and treats you like a person. And, you know, that's why I go to the place I go. I'm the same as you. I mean, it's, you know, they... they they find out something about you and what you like. I didn't mean to bring up a bad topic, no, it's but I'm okay. glad you it's, shared that with me. That's uh, I'm I'm that. I'm totally I'm totally over it. I really am, and I'm just kind of like whatever it is, mm. what it is. Yeah. Um, but everybody sometimes you know I'll see spoilers on Twitter and stuff like that. That mm-hmm. I'm like, oh man, I'm not going to get my comments for another week, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. But. I mean, it's it's fine. I'm fine with getting my comics once a month, and and every once in a while, I actually, I'll drive down there um, to to pick up stuff. Like if I order books for a show, um, you know, they can help me ordering books for a show and stuff. Okay. Um, I'll drive down and pick them up and stuff. They're just they're just fantastic. They really they're just wonderful, sweet, fantastic people, and I adore them. They work I, hard. They do. They work really hard. They've got a great shop. 
It's so friendly. I've been down there when people have literally just like come in and been like, hi, I've never read a comic book before. Oh, well, what do you like? What kind of movies do you like? What kind of stories do you like? You should try this. You should try that. I mean, they're so accommodating and so great. Yeah. Yeah. More stores should do that. I agree. Because I I listen as I'm in there and I hear people and they just – Help that person find something that might be interested. They don't. They don't embarrass them. They're like, oh, we don't know what that is. You know, you never hear that in there. Never. Yeah, yeah. They're 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 really there's they're very very great sweet people, and I I can't say enough great things about them. So Sarah, <laughs> Titus, Joaquin, everybody there, Jamie, Kim, everybody, we love you. What are you picking up right now? Um. Okay. So I am picking up. Um. Unworthy Thor, uh, Doctor Strange. I was picking up Doctor Fate, but that's not out anymore, unfortunately. Uh, with my with my my uh, hawk girl buddy, Sunny Lou, I was picking up Velvet, but that's not happening right. anymore. Right. Um, yeah. After Death, mm-hmm. Scott Snyder and uh, Jeff Lemire, uh, Moon Knight. No, I some great choices that. there. There are definitely some of those are on my list as well. I do get mine every week, though. I'm usually Wednesday. Sometimes at lunch, I run out. And I get no Angel. <laughs> okay. Um, by Eric Palicki, uh, coming out from Black Mask. Um, Clone. Cons- My husband is a huge Spidey fan, so um, I get like all the Spidey books for him. So Clone Conspiracy books and stuff like that. Um, he loves Ultimates with Al Ewing, so he. Um, I picked that up too for him. Um, it's funny. I never read Thor. Or Doctor Strange until Jason Aaron started writing. Oh, okay, yeah, which I, I never, thought was very interesting. Yeah, I never read it regularly either, and uh, Jason Aaron's doing a great job. So I started reading Doctor Strange. Yeah, I love it. I love I love Doctor Strange. I was never a fan of Doctor Strange until uh, you know I saw I was like, well, I, I love Jason Aaron's Thor. Let me give Doctor Strange a try. Uh, Ms. Marvel, of course, obviously. Um, my husband loves Titans, the Rebirth Titans, um, All-Star Batman. Uh, I'm literally going through like my emails right now, looking at my <laughs> posts from the past, couple of the, the past couple of emails that I've sent. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they're so accommodating to me and I love them. Well, that's a good list, a very good list. Let's talk about something that should be on everyone's list coming up in March is Charmed for Dynamite Comics. Yes, the Charmed book is coming out. I'm, I'm excited that I can actually talk about it now. No, well, please elaborate. Um, how did you get this assignment? How did, did you mean you lobby for it? Did they come to you and say, you're perfect for this? I mean, I know you, you've done work for Diamond before, and I'd like to talk about that. But how about how did this one come up? Well, um, I have done work for Dynamite before, and I... Uh, I have always kept in touch with the editors there and said, you know, hey, if there's something coming down the pike, you know, keep me informed. I'd love to write more for you guys. Uh, Swords of Sorrow was a really great experience. And um, I really enjoyed working with Gail and with the editorial team there. So uh, I was really excited when they contacted me and said, well, we have this new property, Charmed. Um, we'd like to see if that's something you'd be interested in. And I, I mean, I was a huge fan of the TV show. So I said, of course, yes, please. What do you, what do you, what can I do for you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so I was really excited. And then um, Maria, who's doing the art, I mean, I'm blown away by, by her work. 
So I'm, I'm so excited to, to be working with her. Um, unfortunately, I've never met her, but hopefully someday soon I will. Um, she worked on DC Bombshells. She's worked on stuff for Xenoscope. Um, I know she's done covers for uh, Dynamite in the past, but she did do interiors and uh, sequentials for Bombshells, which is great. Um, who also works on Bombshells is uh, Mirka Andolfo, who was another great artist uh, who I met through Swords of Sorrow and everything. She's also working on Bombshells with Marguerite, who was yet another Swords of Sorrow mm-hmm. alum. There's a lot of us. <laughs> well, her art looks great because I just saw some yes. preview art of the first page in black and white, and uh, it looks very good. Yeah, she's she's great. Um, I was when I when I learned that she was the artist, I of course looked her up, and um, I looked at her stuff on Bombshells, and I just thought she's she's got a great look. Um, she draws sexy women, but she draws strong women. Um, and I thought that that was great and I was really excited. And then, um, when the preview pages came, I was just, I was, this is, this is great. This is, this is wonderful. And this is, you know, a hell of a thing to be on. I was, I was very, very lucky to get this. How far have you scripted it out and what has she delivered so far? Uh, I'm writing the third script right now. Um, I don't know how far along she is on the art, but she's pretty far along on on the art for book one. I mean, what a lot of people don't realize is that when you do comic books, you have to, you know, you have to start a book three to four months before you want it in the stores, just because you got to make sure that you have enough time for the art, you have enough time for um, changes. You know, if you're working on a creator-owned book, you could probably do it a little quicker just because, you know, you're the editor and you're doing everything. But when you're working on a licensed book, a licensor does get, um, you know, has to, to weigh in. And if things need to be changed in the script, then they need to be changed in the script. I mean, that's, that's the job. Book one is coming out in March, but I've been, I, you know, had started writing the script back in December. Are you giving her um, layout directions or do you just give her a little more room to interpret things or, or kind of a back and forth? Or? Well, I, I mean, I do write full script. Okay. Um, I do page and panel breakdowns. Um, but a lot of the things that I write are more or less just suggestions. I mean, there are certain things that I'll put in, like, just so you know, this is going to be um, a significant uh, um, element in book, you know, whatever. Um, so just make sure that it's drawn in this frame because we're going to harken back to it on another page or in another issue. Um, but aside from that, I mean, it's, I, I, I mean, she's a pro. She knows how to interpret mm. um, stuff and she knows that she's going to bring the best to it. And whether it's something that I wrote down on the page or not, she's going to bring it. So I'm very lucky to work with her. Tell me something about the pitch for the book. Like, now, this is um, not based on the CW reboot that I think is coming up. This is more based on the original series. Is this a reboot or is this a prequel? Because I've been, going, I've been yeah. hearing back and forth, back and forth, and I haven't gotten a straight answer from anybody because anybody I ask is just like, oh, it's a reboot. Oh, no, maybe mm-hmm. it is a prequel. So I'm, like, confused by that. What I read recently, um, I can't remember the source, apologize for that, but it was based in New England in the 1970s, So it's, but it's not a prequel, and it has all new actresses in the roles. They may have the ones that were on the series before appear at some point, but they haven't decided yet. But I understand it's a standalone uh, series now, um, and it's not considered... Uh, prequel. It would be more of a reboot. 
That's my understanding of it. Interesting. Interesting. And it's not, but is it going to be the Hollowall sisters? They're not sisters in this version. So it's just a coven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So yours is yeah. more original to the trio that we're on, the sisters on the show. Mine is definitely, um, it is rooted specifically in the show. And um, it's not the original three. Um, not Prue, unfortunately, is not part of this. So it is Paige, Piper, and Phoebe. Um, so yeah, we, um, unfortunately we weren't able to use the Prue character. Um, but yeah, it is, it is the, the power of three. It's our charmed sisters and, um, it's not a, it's not a reboot of the comic books. It's something that would, I wrote it to be a story that you could see on the TV show. Okay. You know, you could tune in one week and this is the story that you're going to see. Okay, so for new readers, though, it won't be – if they're not familiar with the series, I'll admit I am not deep – I've seen it a few times, but I'm, I was never a, a follower of the whole series. Well, you can binge on Netflix. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Very true. That's the beauty of Netflix. Exactly. Um, but you think that – would you say that new readers would be able to you know, enjoy it for what it is, a, a story? I mean they're not going to be – they're not going to feel like they're out of the loop. No, I mean all – the only thing that new readers need to know is – it's about three sisters who are powerful witches in San Francisco. That's it. Right. And that's pretty easy to get off. You know, they fight evil. They fight demons. They protect innocence. And they protect our world. And that's, you know, they're basically superheroes. And it has a very strong following still. There should be a, a ready-made audience for this, uh, eager to see some new, some new stories coming out well before the, the reboot. And especially with the original characters, or at least you know, most of them. In your series, um, is this does this plan to be ongoing right now, or are you just kind of seeing how it goes with the first arc? That's usually what I see with Dynamite. I see how the first arc goes, and then they'll take it from there, depending on what the response is. I don't know if I can say okay. whether or not. I'm sorry. That's all right. I'd love to, I would love to answer that question, but I don't know if I could possibly say that. That's so okay. I'm not going to say anything to get me in trouble. Right. The solicitation <laughs> right now is just it's number one. That, yeah. I, that I have in front of me, it's open, so it's not. There's no cap on it anywhere. So it sounds like a great story. It sounds like you have a fantastic artist. So it's got a lot going for it. Yes, Maria is definitely. Um, I'm. I'm really happy to be working with her. I know I sound like Donald Trump continually repeating myself. But, <laughs> oh um, no, you don't. Not at all. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> but I. But I am. I am really excited to work with her. Um, uh, I. I've never worked with her before, so. Uh, I always get nervous when I'm working with a new artist. Uh, I was so spoiled with Vicente Alcazar when I was working on M3 with him because we did 12 issues of M3 and then we did another graphic novel. We were hired to do a graphic novel together um, that unfortunately didn't get released. So he and I had worked together for like three years straight. And um, so whenever I would work with another artist, I would always get nervous because, you know, are they going to think I'm like a weird eccentric writer? Are they going to hate my writing? Are they going to, you know, it, look at my scripts and just say, oh, this is all crap or whatever, you know. So <laughs> I got so spoiled with Vicente. So well, that, that is a great series. Cause, uh, I just started reading that. Um, and 
it's available in Comicology, and it's also part of their Comicology Unlimited. At least part of it is. So if people want, yeah, the first six issues are yeah. part of Comicology Unlimited. Yes, and, and I, I believe seven through twelve will be. Um, I, I think they have like a certain time t- a time frame about when they're going to release seven through twelve as com- as a uh, part of Unlimited. I'm not entirely sure though. I'll okay. have to check my emails on that. Well, that'd be a bonus. That's great. Was that one of your first works as a writer? That was that was uh, yeah that was my first comic in the middle. of of doing M3, I ended up doing a one-shot for Blue Water, um, but it didn't have a wide release at all, and nobody even knew I had existed then. Um, so that sort of like fell by the wayside. I had actually written a miniseries for them as well that I was really happy about, um, but unfortunately, I don't even know if Blue Water is even around anymore. Um, but uh, but M3 was was pretty much my my first real series that I did. Um, so it, it's kind of, it's an unusual thing to go between doing licensed work and doing creator owned work. Um, there are a lot of creators out there that only do licensed work and they're, and then, you know, travel into creator owned after they've really, um, made a name for themselves. I've sort of done it the opposite. You know, I started with creator owned putting out M3 and then, um, I've had a couple of books with Claire Connolly, a couple of uh, goofy little quirky books with Claire Connolly, and uh, and a couple of other things. And then that sort of led to license work. I, I always do things the, the, the hard way. My mom always tells me. <laughs> I, yeah, Erica always has to be difficult. That's, you know, just the way I am. <laughs> it's a really good work if people haven't read it. M3 is basically, it's a series about an assassin and the FBI agent tracking her down. Um, their pasts have collided and now their presents are colliding. Um, so M3 is Machiavella Maria Marcona, the assassin. And uh, Chris Morris is the FBI agent who's um, been hot on our trail. Um, and you also had uh, Bill Sienkiewicz do the cover on issue two. Yes, I did. I was score. <laughs> Way to go. Um, I I used to work at a studio and Bill at a, a studio that did commercial work but also comic work. And Bill was doing some inking for um, for the the master illustrator there, and uh, he and I met a couple of times through that because I was sort of coordinating the project and he was just wonderful just such a sweet guy so I had um I sort of reached out to him and I said you know is it possible for me to maybe um get you to do a cover obviously I will pay you and this and the next thing um and he said well you know send me a script and let me know and you know I'll give it a look and I sent him I think I had one, two, and three scripted already, and I sent it to him, and he said, this is fantastic. I love this. Vicente is, I'm a huge fan of his. You should have told me that he was involved because I'm a huge fan of his, and I think this is great. You know, I I will be happy to do a cover for you, and I just, I I couldn't even believe it. I had to, like, reread the email a couple of times because I thought I was, I thought I was making this up in my head. I was like, no, no, pinch me. But yeah, he he did an amazing job um, on the cover for book number two. And he's always been uh, very supportive and very vocal about his support for me and for the series. And I just he's such a great guy and I'm so excited. Um, And we were doing a re-release with the trade paperbacks uh, that I've been doing for the uh, for started last year. Um, I think it was Salt Lake Comic Con was the first con that I had them. Um, and then 
this coming year, I'm going to have uh, all 12 issues in uh, four trade paperbacks. This sounds shelf worthy like this, you know, besides having the digital copies, this should be on the bookshelf. Absolutely. No, that, I Thank mean, you. think about this. I mean, this is your first work, creator own work. 12 solid issues, a great artist and a great cover artist did that for you. I mean, it had all those wonderful things to say that that's, you can't, you can't get much better than that. What made you decide to get into writing and starting with comics and starting with your own? Um, I've always written. I always wrote and I always drew for uh, as far back as I can remember. Um, in terms of writing for comics, I didn't really think about writing comics. Um, I would write sh short stories. I have half a dozen halfway written novels and notebooks somewhere in my closet. Uh, I have a couple of screenplays. I have a couple of um, theatrical plays written. Um, I guess when it came to comics, I always, I mean, I was a huge fan of comics and reading comics growing up. Comics always seemed like the medium that, was sacred, you know, don't, don't screw it up with your writing, Erica, kind of thing. Um, but I started working at a studio and, um, I started working as an animator and colorist, uh, on the Astonishing X-Men motion comic, the first one gifted. And, um, I, it really brought me back, not just back into comics, but it brought me back into the process of it. Um, and I thought after working on that for about a year and a half, I thought, you know, why not? So, um, another artist that I had known was putting out a book and, uh, I said, you know, Hey, if somebody's going to publish his stuff, I'm sure somebody will publish mine. Um, so Vicente and I got together, we had done, uh, the first issue and we brought it to New York comic con in 2010 and we shopped it around and, uh, Unfortunately, we didn't get any, any yeses. So we said, you know what, we're just going to do this on our own. And we did. And we put out the 12 issues on our own. And uh, Vicente did the art and some of the and the art direction. And I did the lettering and the graphic design. And I put it together. And we found a great printer. And we just, you know, paper to pen made it happen. That's great. Everybody has the idea to do something, but they don't all do it or they're afraid to do it. No fear. You did it. Oh, no. There was, there was plenty <laughs> of fear. There was plenty of fear. There was plenty of fear, plenty of why am I doing this, plenty of nervousness, uh, nervousness, yeah. um, sleepless nights, I must be crazy, um, you know, plenty of, uh, of family dinners of what are you doing again with your life, Erica? You know, there was plenty of that and there still is, but you know, it's, it's something that I really cared about. And, um, I was talking to one of my very close friends from college and she said to me, you know, when you said to us that you were going to write a comic, we all just sort of shrugged and said, well, Erica says crazy things. And, uh, she said, but you did it. And if you do nothing else in the rest of your life, you did this. And, and she was absolutely right. So, I mean, if, if I didn't continue with comics, which I'm glad that I did, but if I didn't continue with comics, I at least had this. I had a beginning, a middle, an end that we put together, and I had that so that I could sort of say, hey, look what I did. And you'll never have to say, boy, I wish I'd done that. What would yeah, have happened if I, I mean, you know, you're not going to have any regrets. Exactly. I mean, I, 
I I'm really glad that it has led to licensed work. I got to work with Marvel on the revenge book for the revenge television show. I'm working. I got to do Swords of Sorrow. I'm doing Charmed. So it's led to other things. But if I never did anything else, I could just say we put a story out that we wanted to tell two actually because it's two story arcs. But we put the story out that we wanted to tell. That's it. And you've accomplished a lot in in a, in a fairly short period of time, and you're being modest. Uh, I, mean, I mean, who? What was the name of the studio that you worked for? No, the studio is called Continuity Studios. Yes. I have read almost all these books you've worked on. <laughs> I was finding, oh, you've had a hand in all of this. I mean, you are a writer by trade, but you are multi-talented as a designer, as a letterer, editor. You've done everything. You've done a lot of work um, with continuity. Yeah, I I was I mean, we used to joke and say that, you know, I was Neil's girl Friday. I mean, I would ink, I would letter, I would do design work, I would format pages for colorists, I would do some coloring. Um, I did a little bit of everything. You know, um, I, I wanted to go to art school and I didn't. But working there was like getting an art degree. I mean, I learned so much. I really did. Um, and I was there for seven and a half years. So I really, I learned so much and I got to work on Batman and I got to work on Superman and I got to work on the X-Men. And, uh, so that was pretty awesome. That's way better than art school. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just to list some of the books and you've mentioned some already, you worked on uh, Neil's blood series. Yeah. Uh, That was in dark horse presents as a, Mm -hmm. uh, multi-part story what, what and then they re-released it as its own graphic novel yes, as well with a special like lenticular cover that it had mm-hmm. it and there was also would you did you do any of the animation he had like a an animated promo for blood too very much like um, the astonishing x-men gifted yes uh i was the lip sync animator oh, so okay. all right. so basically all the all you know when people talk that's me making them talk oh wow yeah, I've I've seen the X Men, Astonishing X Men one that you did, and that was uh, I was really impressed with how good that looked. That you know that was something else. Then I mean that was a that real was, step forward. That was two thousand. I started working at Continuity um, end of the year two thousand eight. So it was like December, end of December two thousand eight. So when uh, Gifted came out, I believe they released the first. Um, episode, for lack of a better term, which is basically the first uh, book of of Astonishing X-Men number one. Uh, I think that came out in like May or June. Um, And I was learning animation at the same time. uh, So I was doing a little bit of everything. And then we, through trial and error, we sort of figured out that I was really good at the, the lip sync animation. So then that became sort of like my primary job was doing the lip the lip sync i would do little animation here and there but like that was like my main focus was the lip sync animation you did that and you worked on the coming of superman number two i lettered the coming of superman number two and i had helped with uh the inking of that and also the um every time we would get pages in i would have to format them send them off to colorists and and everything like that and also the same thing with the 13 issues of batman odyssey this must give you a huge amount of insight into the business and how to put a book together i mean it helps you with your own work even as a writer but just seeing how the whole process works and how to make a successful series 
um, have some legs and actually have some success in the market. Yeah, I mean, it it really was great to see everything behind the scenes and to hands-on do everything behind the scenes because um, I, I'm a firm believer in if you are doing a type of job that is a collaborative job, like comics are, is a collaborative job, if you know the basics of what every single person's job is, then that will make you better in whatever role you're playing. So if you're the writer, but you know the basics of layout, lettering, of, you know, inking, of the production and all that other stuff, it's going to make you a better writer. If you're a good letterer, but you know about production and penciling and inking and everything, it's going to make you a better letterer. So um, I've always kind of been the type of person where I want to immerse myself in the whole process. I mean, I started my career in advertising and um, I worked at an ad agency in New York and um, I started out as an assistant in the creative department. So I was uh, an assistant art director and I was an assistant copywriter and uh, I used to talk to producers and find out what they did. And so this way I got a little taste of what everybody had to do. And I think that that has helped me just in general, because I know a little bit of, okay, well, I know a time if somebody's making a schedule, they need to pad the schedule for this. And I know that if, um, if somebody's going to be doing the artwork on this, it's going to take this amount of days to do and things like that. So. Well, again, a better education than an art school, because you understand how to collaborate, how the whole process works. You're not working in a silo. And I, I think really for anything that you're creating or for in any business, really, you have to understand the other department and people's functions in the business and how long it takes them to do something so you can collaborate and work better together and will be more successful rather than just being an island unto yourself to achieve whatever you're trying to achieve. So continuity, you worked there and then Dynamite popped up. We talked about this at the beginning. But um, did Gail ask for you specifically for this Swords of Sorrow uh, kind of reboot, reimagining, retooling of the Jathoris and Red Sonia and Vampirella? Um, Gail actually brought together all of us. Um, she sort of had her little hand-picked group of writers. Um, I had met Gail in I think it was 2014 at Baltimore Comic Con it was just a very quick hi how are you very nice to meet you I'm a big fan of your work um and uh she had actually contacted me and said you know I'd really like to chat with you uh when you get a second um so I contacted her and she said you know I have this project that's coming down the pike and um, I'd really like you to be a part of it. And I mind blown. Um, and then when I found out I was going to be writing with G. Willow Wilson and, and Emma Beebe and Marguerite Bennett and, and Margaret Scott, and I was just, wow, you know, you, you put me in this roster? Holy, <laughs> what are you thinking, lady? Um, so it was just really, it was so awesome to work with all these people. And then Emma, Emma Beebe and I actually were part of the DC Talent Workshop pilot program together. So um, it was great to sort of be reunited with, uh, with her on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Swords of Sorrow concept, um, I believe 
Gail and Nick Barucci sort of workshopped what the concept was going to be. And it was all the female characters from Dynamite's collection, the good girls and the bad girls. You know, they call them the chaos girls were the, the bad girls. And um, all of them just in this huge, earth-shattering, world-changing, epic storyline. Um, and it was just... I mean, it's 21 issues. The whole thing is 21 issues, and it is just mind-blowingly awesome. And you've got all these fantastic artists. I mentioned Mirka Andolfo earlier. Um, you've got Dave Acosta, um, you know, Sergio Davia. I mean, so many amazing artists working on this. Uh, uh, Kristen Zamora and uh, all these great characters just you know, characters you wouldn't think of. Lady Zorro and Black Sparrow get to, you know, duke it out kind of thing. Um, just really great, cool stuff. It's a lot of fun. If you like fantasy stories, give it a whirl. I mean, it really is just balls to the wall fun. Yeah, I mean, you did the one shot for that, the Black Sparrow Ladies Earl. Um, I did that, and I got to co-write the Cato Masquerade one shot with G. Willow Wilson. That's right. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Black Sparrow, was that a character that was uh, something they made up? I mean, that that doesn't go back to... That was a character who originally went with The Shadow. Okay. And uh, Victor Gishler, when he was on The Shadow, had uh, created her a couple of years ago. Okay. But that was, a, that was a cool team up there of taking the Black Sparrow and Lady Zero. Somebody I would not have thought you would put together. But given the nature of the story and the traveling through time, it worked very well. Well, that was the fun of this of this whole thing is that you took characters that would have never met each other. You know, um, Emma Beebe wrote the uh, Pantha and uh, Lady Greystoke. You know, they would have never met each other, but they were, you know, brought together for that. Um, uh, we had uh, Lady Rawhide and Miss Fury, another, you know, two people out of time. Um, Deja Thoris meets with... Um, Irene Adler, you know, going from Barsoom or Mars rather to uh, Earth. I mean, that was the whole, that was one of the most fun parts about this is that characters who would never meet each other at all, ever, get thrown together to just, you know, play in the same sandbox. I mean, just through reading some of those books myself, it gave me a reason or a desire to go back and read the original Princess of Mars I mean, Nancy Collins, who had, was on Vampirella for many, many years, had done the Vampirella Jennifer Blood series, the four-issue miniseries for Swords of Sorrow. And after reading that, I went back and got God Save the Queen to read her, her series with, uh, with Vampirella. Because I just I loved the Swords of Sorrow stuff so so much. Um, after writing the Lady Zorro, I went back to read Alex DeCampi's Lady Zorro miniseries. I mean, it's like um, I have a friend of mine who is a librarian in England, and she always talks about how she wants to have like basically like every comic book that she that she hears somebody talk, you know, wonderfully about. She wants to pick up. So she had, you know, sent sent a tweet out asking. You know, what What do you consider the best Batman series? And p some people are saying Nightfall, some people are saying Death in the Family and all this other stuff. 
And then it's like, okay, well, I already have that. I already have that. I already have that. Oh, now I need to pick up that. And I mean, comics have the capacity to just bring people together from all over the place for either a love of a character or a hate of a character. But um, but that's the fun of it. That, that is so true. And I've said this before on my podcast, but, you know, when I talk to other people and especially when I talk to creators or I go to a con and I meet with them and just chat about things, before I know it, I have um, a two foot high reading pile when I get home. Yeah. Because I just, yeah. oh, I, well, I've got to read that. And they're like, you're going to really like this. I'm like, okay, I'm sold. I'll take your word for it. And I'll just, I mean, and I've, no one's ever steered me wrong. But it just makes that pile grow. But it's just through the conversation and the interaction and the camaraderie of all sharing in that spirit of reading comics and fantasy and adventure that we all give each other references of what to read next. And uh, it's, it just creates a problem for me with space with all the books. But I do get to them, though. <laughs> well, that's I mean, that's I think the beauty of digital. I have a friend who went pure, purely digital where he just went and um, he sold all of his comics, sold his entire collection, and he's got everything on his tablet. Is he and, okay? Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't imagine. I mean, I, he I like reading. He did that a while ago. Okay. He did it a while ago. He did it about two years ago. And we were all a little worried. Um, but no, he seems to be okay. I mean, what I tend to do is I, I have young nieces and nephews, Um so if I'm if I, you know, have an entire run of something and I've read it once or twice and I'm not going to read it again, I'll then, you know, you go to visit your family for holidays. I'll always show up with a big box of comics and be like, here you go, kids. You know, so I know that that they're getting good use out of it. Um, there are some comics that I will never give up. I mean, my um King Size Avengers number 10, 1981, first, uh, first appearance of Rogue, we'll never give that up. Um, I will reread that 5,000 times over. It's it, basically comics to me could be like a family heirloom, you know? Like, this is a story that I loved. So, here, let me give it to you. And you read the story and you enjoy it. You give it to somebody else. Comics can sort of, you can like pay entertainment forward with comics. No, I, I hear you. I, I think about that because there are certain books that I have that even if I got rid of all the print and just went with digital and you know, my wife is like, you know, you should really think about going digital because this takes up a lot of space. And she's all for that. <laughs> but I think someday that there's certain books I wouldn't part with that some of my first books, like you, there's certain ones I'll read over and over and over again. But when I do pass those along, not only do I want to pass along the book, but the story behind why I kept that book for so, for so long, why I like that book so much, what it meant to me and why. A great book and also I, I enjoyed the movie High Fidelity. And there's a scene in the movie where um, John Cusack's character, Rob, has pulled all of his records off of the shelf and he's recategorizing them and recataloging them and it's not alphabetical it's not chronologically it's autobiographically you know he's like if i want to listen to landslide i gotta know that it's going to be in this pile from the summer of you know whatever year and this then the next thing and it's just so funny that people have this you know, people are like that with their vinyl. People are like that with their comics. They know where they were. Like, I know where I was when I read the first Death in the Family, you know, um, when Jason Todd was killed. 
you know, I know that I, my brother had come home from the comic shop with this book and I see Jason Todd with the, cause it was one of the first like trade paperbacks that they put together. And, you know, there's Jason Todd dead on the cover and I'm watching, I'm sort of looking underneath my brother's loft bed, seeing this picture of, of Robin dead going, what? So it's, it's really, I mean, comics have that, that sense. Comics have that feeling. Yeah, no, I'm with you. A lot of books I had when I was a kid, I can tell you where I was when I was reading that book, what chair I was sitting in, you know, yeah. was it day or night? I mean, there's one book I have, uh, Avengers 151. I was going on a trip with my family to Vermont in 1977, and I, I bought some comics to read on the way up. And bear in mind, you know, I read these once very quickly because I was so excited about getting to these stories, and then I read it again slowly, and then I'd read it again and again because I had, you know, about 10, 11-hour trip. And mm -hmm. I'll, I'll never forget that I read Avengers 151 in a van with shag carpet on the way up to Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> An orange van with shag carpet and a bed in the it back. Can't get more, it can't get more 70s than oh, that. Oh, it does. Wait. And then it had my, my dad, um, he works in interior decorating, had his own business. So he decorated this whole van with the shag carpet, two beanbag chairs, a little mini fridge. And then a bed in the back, a vinyl bed, and you would go through a um, a wall that had a heart cut in it to get into the bed. That's awesome. <laughs> I've got to find some pictures of these things and post them on the internet. It's, it's crazy. But anyway, um, yes, it does stick with you where you read the book. and it, Yeah, it does bring back a lot of memories. Um, you also did, just getting back to comics, you did a, um, a Hawker book for DC? Um, well, I was part of the DC talent search uh the dc talent workshop the pilot program mm -hmm. um it was it ran from january of last year until uh march of last year and scott snyder was teaching it and at the end the we all got to write a story and it was drawn by the people who were in the um dc art pilot program. So I got matched up with Sunny Lou, who I was a huge fan of from Dr. Fate. And uh, in the program, we were writing story arcs. And I, Hawkgirl Shaira is my favorite, um, my favorite DC character. And I was really pushing to write her. So when they said that they were going to put together this sort of um, anthology with just eight pages of uh, kind of like a movie trailer of our story. So I got to work with Sonny on that and uh, it, it got some really good reviews. I was really excited. Are you, um, have you watched the Legends of Tomorrow series? <sighs> okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> Landmine. Well, first <laughs> of all, I don't, I don't have very much love for Kendra in general. Okay. But... I watched, I watched the first episode because the first season's on Netflix, mm -hmm. and I just, I don't like what they did with the Hawks. In general, I don't like. I think their production budget isn't very good. Unless it's gotten better, their production budget was pretty bad. Their CGI was pretty bad. Their green screen work was pretty bad. It kind of reminded me of the first season of Agents of Shield. Everything looked kind of disjointed. Um, I, I wasn't a huge fan. I mean, I watched Legends of Tomorrow um, when they did the four 
episode where they went for uh, Supergirl, Flash, oh, right. yep. Arrow, and um, I very rarely watch Flash. I'll watch it with my husband when he's watching it. I don't watch Arrow at all, uh, and I don't watch Legends. Uh, I watch Supergirl pretty religiously, um, but I watched Legends for that too, and I was like, oh, their budget hasn't gotten better. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. um, it is what it is. Are you a fan of Sherlock? Um, I am a fan of Sherlock. I saw the first episode of this season, mm-hmm. and I, I tweeted about it. I didn't want to give any spoilers, but I I could not believe like the pacing was so weird. And I mean, can I give spoilers? Did you, you watch? You, did you see it? That I did see it, and I did see the okay. second one. And we'll just forewarn people that there will be spoilers at this point for it. So we're going to discuss Sherlock. So the whole thing with the the lady on the bus with John, I yes. know that play. I know that pays off in the second episode, which I also thought was pretty um, poorly paced. But I, I couldn't. The fact that they killed off Mary, mm-hmm. like basically, Molly is rarely around so and you have mrs hudson so the way the only female characters that they have are molly mary and mrs hudson three m's oh there you go m3 <laughs> um um mrs hudson is active to a certain extent mary was a badass you know so what do they do they kill the badass off like that just i i had so many frustrating feelings about that and also i thought that the pacing of it was just very strange and I thought that it was very uncharacteristic of John to um, to even consider an affair. Well, we had a lot of problems with it because I'm like, well, okay, first of all, Mary like throws her life away. I mean, she just like dies in front of a bullet. I'm like, well, it just seemed like a waste. And I'm especially like, after just having the baby. Exactly. I'm like, she's a mother. I mean, the, you know, of all things, would you? I mean, first, just to up and leave your family. Poof, gone. I'll be back. That just seemed really weird to me and then just like die without thinking in front of a bullet meant for Sherlock just it just didn't seem right and the pacing was weird um did you see the second one I did okay because I I felt they were trying to be too clever with the effects like they were just trying to jam everything in there this is it last season we're going to just throw the stuff in there and towards the end when uh Sherlock and um Dr. Watson embraced and then Watson's back in front of his therapist. I thought that would have been a good place to end it. And yes. then came this revelation. I was like, what? It, it just, it, it, they should have ended right after the embrace. To me, it went off the rails. No, I agree. I think it did go off the rails. Um, I think, first of all, it's, you know, this whole thing of, you know, Watson, I have my family to protect. I have my family to protect. And then he's not even around his kid. Yeah, what happened you to know, the kid? It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing, John? You you have your family to protect and like you've abandoned your child. You know, even though your kid is, um, I guess, in, you know, perfectly good hands with other people. You know, the other thing that is when in the first episode when Mary gets shot. Okay, let's let's be very logical about this. John Watson is a field surgeon, a, a an army field surgeon. Okay. My mom was a registered nurse for, you know, 35, 40 years. I know that if 
God forbid something happened and she was a witness to it, she will snap and go into nurse mode, you know, do this, do this, you know, um, you, you know, she's rip trained. somebody's clothes because yeah. she's trained. Mm -hmm. John doesn't do that. And I understand that he is overcome with emotion at the same time. He makes zero effort to try and save her life. He puts his hand, he goes, Oh, I'm going to put my hand on, on your abdomen that you, that, you know, whatever he makes zero effort. I found that completely implausible. Yeah. I agree. Just as the cat, not just as the character, but just in general, I found it completely implausible. So I was, you know, and now this whole thing with the third Holmes, um, sibling, um, I, I don't know. I thought that last season was it for the whole series, but then they sort of, you know, rallied the troops and brought it back. But, um, I believe this might be it. Hmm. Well, the way things are going right now, they should have made it last year and left the stage on a high note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Leave them wanting more, demanding more. Yeah. Uh, anything else you're watching on uh, Netflix? Anything else you'd like to recommend to the audience? Or Amazon or whatever. I mean, I don't need to just pick up. Well, Netflix. I mean, my – well, no. I, I only have – I don't have cable, so I don't right. watch Game of Thrones or anything like that. I only have Netflix. Okay. And um, – Whereas I should be watching new stuff because everybody saw, I still haven't seen Stranger Things, still haven't seen the OA. Whereas I should be watching new things, uh, I tend to just crawl back to the, I mean, the amount of times that I have watched Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, like that's all I do is I watch that. Um, when I got the charmed assignment, I was rewatching some episodes just to get the voice of the characters again. Um, but I basically just go through old stuff on netflix there's a lot just, there yeah yeah there's a lot there and now that now that civil war is on there i've been just re-watching the airport scene over <laughs> and over and over again and um you know basically any scene that we're close to a shirtless sebastian stan i'll just watch over and over and over again winter soldiers on there that i'm just constant just constant rewind i mean i know bucky's getting tortured but still you make torture look so good. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of good stuff on there, and something that just I'll, I'll toss out there as a recommendation was a, a show called Glitch. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you saw that one or heard about that one. It was made in Australia, ABC. I Australia. heard about it. Yeah, if you have a chance to see Glitch, I think it was only six episodes, and Netflix is now going to take on the series and do another season of it. Um, cool. I was really impressed with it. It went places I did not. I mean, you know the premise of it. Um, vaguely. Vaguely? Okay, yeah. I mean, what happens is these people start coming out of their graves. They're, they're alive again. And mm -hmm. they've lost a lot of their memories, can't remember things. And things are slowly coming back. Like, why did they, of all people, come back out of this one graveyard? But it's not a zombie, walking dead kind of thing at all. It, it goes into a whole different direction of, if you came back from the dead, what are the consequences? Who does it affect? Mm -hmm. Your loved ones. It's very relational. It's not a – it's a sci-fi, but it's not a, a horror-type thing at all. It's character-driven. It, very character-driven. And I was yeah. very impressed with it. So – and it's not – you know, it's only six episodes, so it's manageable. So mm -hmm. I'll just throw that out there. One more opinion I'd like of yours. Um, uh -oh. and, and as a fan, this isn't like – as a woman. Be careful, I mean, what, you, be careful what you ask for. What it, Have you seen the new Wonder Woman trailer? Um, I saw the Wonder Woman trailer. I saw the San Diego Comic-Con trailer and I saw the trailer that they released um, a couple months ago. Okay. Probably about three months ago. 
I am excited. I am excited and I am hopeful, but I am also, I'm, I'm, I'm holding my heart close to my chest because I have been heartbroken before by DC, by the movies, not by the, not by the comics, but by the movies. I want to make sure that there's a, a specific, that there is a differentiation. I still want to work with them more. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I thought Batman Superman was terrible. I thought Man of Steel wasn't very good. I thought Batman Superman was terrible. I have I haven't seen Suicide Squad because I don't have time to sit down and watch a two hour music video. I I have a lot of hope for for Wonder Woman. I really really do. Um, I don't have a lot of hope for Justice League, but you know it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I really do hope that Wonder Woman kicks some serious ass. If they mess this up, then I'm. I just might cry <laughs> a lot. One more thing. I sound like Columbo now. One more thing. I hope you do it. I haven't read it, but it sounds too good not to do it. You're thinking of doing a Churchill animated with Claire Conley as a Kickstarter? Possibly? We've, we've been, we're, we're discussing. We're discussing the idea. Um, it would, it would be a significant Kickstarter though to do it. Mm -hmm. It really would. Um, but between Claire, myself, we have enough people that we could bring in to really make it good. Um, I had just floated that as an idea. Um, one of my other animators that I've worked with, he and I, he's a huge fan of that book. And um, he and I have sort of gone back and forth. J.L. Draco, he's a great artist and animator. And we went back and forth about um, whether or not it would be doable and that's where I sort of came up with that number of 10 to 15, um, just through conversations with him. Um, and that would be lean. That would be a lean budget, mm. you know, yeah. to really, to really do it up good. It would be closer to 20. And that's, and I don't know if that's something that we would be able to reach, but I just sort of wanted to, to sort of take the temperature of the room, you know? And what is the, uh, the plot behind Churchill, this like have you read the book? I haven't, and I've I've got to read it. I just I just saw something about it. It was, it was it Churchill and dinosaurs or something? Yeah, is that right? Okay, was See, I just like yeah. too tired when I saw that? Or no, no, that is okay. that is absolutely right. Um, okay. Winston Churchill finds a time machine in 1942, and things go horribly wrong. <laughs> dinosaurs are involved. Um, it's it is a story that. Claire and I wrote in three hours and it is probably the top selling book that I have at my table. It is the most <laughs> ludicrous story on the planet. It's actually the next story that we're going to be doing. We are, um, we've done Churchill. We did a story called cheese, a love story, which is about, um, a cow and a goat from rival dairy farms that fall in love. <laughs> okay. It's kind of Romeo and Juliet meets Animal Farm. All right, and uh, and that's a that's a big seller too. Nobody buys M three; they always buy the goofy that's, books. Uh, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, we're doing a we have a sci fi double issue epic, a forty five page story called Eve the Immortal Lobster. It's basically Star Trek slash Star Wars with lobsters right. yeah that's gonna be that's gonna be coming out hopefully for new york comic-con i'm gonna try to be there this year in new york i've never been to new york but i plan to be there this year 
Oh, okay. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's a madhouse, New yeah. York Comic Con, but uh, but it's a fun madhouse. <laughs> I'll rest up. I'll get. Uh, I'll train for it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but no, if if you do the Kickstarter in 2018, I'm in. This <laughs> this sounds too good. Um, so I'll be looking for that. But first, I'll be looking for Charm Number One coming out March 8th. Folks, place your orders before final. Yes, please do. So, folks, act now. Sign yes. up, get on board, because, you know, they don't always have extra copies around, so get yours, or be sad, as Sarah would say. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> or be sad. Or be sad. Well, Erica, thanks so much. It's been a delight to talk to you. And Thank uh, you so much for having me. And that's my interview with Erica Schultz on Creative Talks this week. Join me next week where I'll have another great guest on the show. And in the meantime, if you want to reach out to me and tell me your thoughts about the show and what you like and don't like, you can reach me at Creative Talks Pod on Facebook and at Creative Talks Pod on Twitter. Also, you can visit my website, creatortalks.com. That's creatortalks.com. There you'll find archived articles that I've written, interviews that I've recorded on video, and also uh, show notes. Each week I'll do a blog post after my episode goes live with a couple of musings and thoughts about the episode and and what's coming up the next week. And as always, I know you have a lot of podcasts to choose from, and I thank you for choosing this one. For Creator Talks, I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next week.